1: I don't know in what spirit I even say that. How would I know whether you're listening or not? Well, you're hearing this. That's how. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm Descartes all of a sudden. All right. So today on the show, on The Nose, we are going to, in our second segment, have a conversation about a new series, four episodes in at this point on HBO Max called White Lotus. It is, I, I sort of think of it as a torture comedy. It's a, a comedy about a group of unlikable people in a very, very expensive hotel who are being tortured by one another. Um, It doesn't sound very appealing, does it? I'm actually kind of hooked on it. Anyway, uh, here at the beginning, we are going to talk uh, uh, about how often (laughs) often celebrities shower and bathe and how often we shower and bathe and how often you should. Uh, And also, we are going to talk about the tap back feature on iPhones uh, and what it means and whether or not it's here to save the world or make it a lot worse. So to do all of that... Uh, With us today are Teresa Kramer, freelance writer and editor and the co-founder of Quiet Corner Communications. Carolyn Payne is an actress, comedian, dancer, founder, director, choreographer of Kinetic Dance. Together, they are two-thirds of the Big Little Podcast. I don't know if there are future episodes. or There could be a whole White Lotus thing coming up on the Big Little Podcast. We would like to point out, by we I mean Jonathan McPans, our producer, that this is the kind of thing that he pays <laughs> a lot of attention to, uh, that including reruns, this is Carolyn's 10th appearance on the show this year and the second this week. She was on, she appeared on a rerun earlier this week. Okay. I don't know, you know what you're supposed to do with that information, but <laughs> you have it now.
0: Do I get like an award for that? What 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 do I get? I used, well.
1: Didn't I already give you some kind of prize? I did. I gave you a mug the time you went to the movie in a blizzard or something. Didn't I give you a prize for something?
0: I did I did receive a Colin McEnroe commemorative mug. Yeah. I cherish it dearly. All
1: right. So then you're the only nose panelist who's ever gotten anything. So I mean, don't press your luck is what I'm saying. <laughs> so speaking of nose panelists, sometimes nose panelists who aren't on the show will send us. You know, an idea like yeah, this might be kind of interesting. You know, maybe you'd like to try this. Uh, in this first topic was sent to us by Tracy Wu Fastenberg, but not in that spirit, I don't think. It was more in the spirit of this needs to be addressed immediately. which was more like that uh, because Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis uh, say that they don't believe in bathing their kids or themselves too much. Uh, this came out in an episode of Dax Shepard's Armchair Expert podcast. Uh, and it turned out that Doc Shepherd, whoever he is, uh, does not also use soap every day. Uh, he thinks it rids the body of natural oils. Kutcher and Kunis agreed saying they only wash their uh, they wash their vitals every day. I don't know. <laughs> Vitals. Well, that's a, well, somebody else on Facebook said she washes her piggies every day. I wasn't sure what piggies are either. Uh, anyway, uh, because uh, Mila Kunis says I didn't have hot water growing up as a child. So I didn't shower very much anyway. Uh, and that's continued. And it's through their, their kids. They don't wash them very much. And, and then Kutcher shared with us that he does wash his armpits and crotch daily and nothing else ever and has a tendency to throw some water on his face after a workout to get all the salts out. Kuna says she washes her face twice a day, but that's about it. So, uh, you know, t- Teresa, I think we can assume, I can't even remember what comment Tracy Wu Vassenberg might have appended to this particular thing, but I, I, mm-hmm. I, I think we can assume safely that it was sent in a state of horror.
2: Oh, yes. You're lucky to have me on the show today, Colin, because I happen to have known Tracy Wu Fastenberg since high school. Yeah. So I am very aware of all her cleanliness habits and they are. Maybe slightly over the top. Um, (laughs) (laughs) She is someone who worries about water spots on the faucets in her house, um, which to me is like one of those Sisyphean tasks that if you worry about it, it will drive you insane. So yes, I am sure she was 100% horrified. Um, And her children are also very clean, which I appreciate because dirty kids kind of gross me out. But um, (laughs) her kids are always nice and clean.
1: So, you know, Carolyn, I think this is also one of these topics. You know, we sort of think, I think, in today's society that everybody talks about everything. But I think this is something that people – like, of of everybody I know, I don't think there's much of anybody, you know, except for people that I – someone that I live with or something. I don't think there's anybody I know who I know this about one way or another. Like, how often they take a shower or how often they bathe themselves.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess – I just naively assumed that like everyone was clean every day. And uh, I was kind of appalled to learn that like showering, which I thought was sort of a uh, a basic thing to do to, you know, take care of yourself and respect those around you. uh, I I was appalled to learn that apparently it's not. Apparently you can just uh, splash some water on your piggies and go on with the day. I don't know. (laughs) but I, I agree with Teresa about clean children. Like when they were saying like, Oh, I wait until I see dirt on them to clean them. Mm-hmm. I was disgusted by that because that's one of the things that I don't really love about kids is they're all <laughs> sticky. Yeah. And- Jam hands, man. Jam yeah. hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, so, uh, please just bathe your children. Like don't wait until they're like disgusting looking. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. That. Uh, and as far as for, people um yeah i mean i guess we do need to talk about this because maybe it'll help people understand that like bathing is 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 fine like first of all i
1: love the distinction you just made between children and people
0: yeah uh-huh. <laughs> there's a distinction there's a
2: distinction
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i don't know teresa uh do you particularly care whether ashton kutcher is clean or not
2: i mean i'm never gonna have to smell him so i don't care what he does but um I mean, I've been working from home for 10 years. So the daily shower is no longer part of my routine. And um, because, especially in the winter, so I have super dry skin in the winter and if, but I also love a shower, right? And a very hot shower. So if I were to shower every day in the winter, which, you know, is probably unnecessary because, you know, it's not like I'm running around doing like Tough mutters or something. Uh, Like I would be just like a prune. I would have to slather on so much stuff to keep my skin from just splitting open. It would not be worth it. Like to me, like if you're doing something that sort of negatively affects you to such a degree, there's clearly something wrong with it.
1: Right. I should say that in getting ready for today's notes, we had a lot of trouble picking topics. And, and so the first segment is really going to be about people's personal habits, both in, in terms of cleanliness and how they use their phones, uh, as opposed to maybe something that's going on in culture or anything. I don't object to that, however. I will just say this, since we're... See, one thing that you and I have in common, Teresa, mm-hmm. is dogs. And yeah. and my main incentive to take a shower. Like to take a shower, I, I don't know. I probably left. If I didn't have dogs, I'd probably I would shower occasionally. Maybe, mm-hmm. I don't know, three times a week would be plenty, probably. Um, but like it is sort of that moment where I try to figure out whether I have ticks on me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It said special, inspect yourself entirely for ticks as much as you can, up to mm-hmm. and including since we're oversharing here. Um, mm-hmm. I bought uh, this year a uh, something I never had in the shower before, it was, like one of those long handled brushes. So in case the tick (laughs) is on my back, um, I can find it there. (laughs) Uh, I'm allowing ticks to run my life right now during this this kind of warm weather. But, you know, Carolyn, I also wonder, I I feel like celebrities are different from you and me, you know, and there's sort of a way in which, I don't know, they – Like, I think I'm uh, uncomfortable with all of us talking about this, but I guess they sort of just get to talk about this stuff and maybe even try to set some kind of tone for everybody else. I mean, I wonder how many people would think, oh, well, if they don't do it, you know, I could cut back on my showers.
0: I hope not. Uh (laughs) I mean, but I feel like in the day and age of Twitter and social media and TikTok, like everyone just shares everything. Like I know, and especially <laughs> during like quarantine in the past year and a half, I have learned more about everyone's home life and you know, bathing habits and eating habits and just habits in general than I've ever wanted to know. Well, I
2: think that's interesting because I was thinking, like, showers during quarantine must have taken a real nosedive. Like, I would be really interested to see, like, what happened to water usage during quarantine because, I, you know, one of the impetuses to shower every day is, like, I got to go to work and look presentable. And if you're not doing that every day, like and you're sitting there with, like, no pants on during your Zoom call or whatever, like, I'm guessing showering has gone way, way down. Well, Uh. I
0: guess for me, like, I work out or dance Mm -hmm. every day. So I am just, like, a sweaty mess at some point in the day and need to shower. Um, So there was never, like, a, you know, there was never Mm -hmm. a sort of change in that during uh, quarantine even. Uh, Plus, like, I felt like at the end of the day, you know, come around like five, six o'clock, I wanted to have my quarantini. And we had a house rule that unless you were dressed, you did not get to have an afternoon (laughs) cocktail. Because it's bad if you were like sitting around in pajamas all day and then (laughs) drinking.
1: Yeah, you're sliding into days of wine and roses territory there, I think. You know, Mm -hmm. if you don't, you have to create some kind of demarcation between your drinking time and your non-drinking time. To to (laughs) Carolyn's point... Uh, earlier point about how everybody shares a- everything. So I put this up just about an hour ago, if that, on Facebook, that we were going to tackle this topic today. Uh, and a-, a person who I think I don't know, maybe she got married as a new last name, I don't know. But I don't. Th- I think, I-, I apologize if we do know each other. But even if I did know her, you know, I have 5,000 Facebook friends who I guarantee you she doesn't know. Uh, she has written, I haven't used soap or scrubbed the length of my body in years. In the shower every night. Face, pits, privates, piggies. The rest is unnecessary.
2: That's quite Piggies a bit- are feet, by the way. Oh. Just, just to be clear.
1: Oh, you know, that didn't really occur to me that that's what they were. Yeah. Oh, okay.
0: That, that's less exciting. I like to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was coining that term for whole new uses.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I, a- go ahead. Yes, please.
0: There's actually a reply
2: all episode where they, which is a podcast yeah. for people who don't know. Um, where they discuss at length, like, whether or not you wash your legs in the shower. Mm. Because, like, in theory, all the soap's running down and everything's running down your legs and you don't have to wash your legs. But there are some people who do and some people who don't.
1: Yeah. It depends. Actually, it brings to mind the scene in Three Musketeers when Michael York uh, washes Raquel Welch's legs, uh, which he's quite eager to do. Um, all right. So we should move on. Uh, I think we've exhausted the subject. Possibly not. But um, uh, but we have to uh, get to our second topic. Our second topic was a piece uh, written in The New York Times. Uh, and it, it it is about something that I haven't really thought very much about which is the uh, best way to respond to text messages is the, is the title but it's about the tap back feature on iPhones uh, which includes I think it's you, you, if you can hold your finger over the last message you received you'll get six suggestions they're all kind of you know thumb up. Thumb down, I don't know, exclamation points, question marks. Ha ha uh, is the only one that actually I think has words on it. Uh, this piece basically says that ha ha is a great way to respond, particularly to people who are sending you jokes that you don't necessarily think are funny or that you just don't feel like laughing at because they can't possibly object to it. But it sort of got me thinking about this whole thing. And I, I could be imagining it. But I also feel like occasionally on my text messages, I see other things that are kind of at the bottom that are suggested replies that somehow or other the, the you know, the iPhone has read an algorithm algorithm and figured out that I should probably say thanks very much and not, but not today or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, Teresa, we'll start here with like, I just sort of wonder whether this, well, you like this feature. We should explain that what you should explain why you like the top back.
2: I love this feature because I find text messages in general to be kind of intrusive, which might sound weird, but one, I'm an intense introvert who never wants to leave my house. And two, like a phone call might be more intrusive in that it's sort of like, if you pick it up, you then have to have a whole discussion with someone right there, but you can screen a call. Like people know you've got your phone and you've read their text you've probably seen their text message and if you don't respond in a certain amount of time you're just like breaking some sort of unspoken rule at this point and especially if it's a text where you're just like i don't i don't really like nothing's coming to mind i don't really have a good response for this like the thumbs up emoji or the haha emoji are just like the best thing ever because no one really responds to that right so you're not inviting more conversation that you maybe don't want to have but also like you don't have to put any thought into it and if you're really just not in the mood to chat that's the best possible it's the best possible answer
1: but let me just follow up on that doesn't the person mm-hmm. then know that you've just put zero effort into this i mean or as, as little effort as you possibly could muster i mean oh
2: 100% yeah a hundred, I, but I also figure anyone who's talking to me at this point in my life knows <laughs> that I probably don't want to be talking. And they're like, oh, at least she bothered to acknowledge I exist.
1: But but let me just follow that up, that up again and say, I'm not really arguing with you. I'm just sort of teasing out various kinds of uh, little mm-hmm. subtleties here. I mean theoretically, or, or just you know, even, even if you talk to people, texting is something that you do because you don't want to talk on the phone, right? Mm-hmm. People prefer to text than to talk on the phone because talking on the phone is a harder to control kind of conversation, uh, harder to get off of it, whatever. Um, but you're basically saying that texting is too much trouble.
2: Yeah, it, it's not always, <laughs> te- not all the time, right? But it's like when you're at home on your couch at like eight o'clock at night, right? someone might not call you at that point and if you did if they did you could ignore it but if some but they will text you or they'll text you at six o'clock in the morning or they'll text you at 11 o'clock at night. you know what i mean like people don't really have qualms about texting people and they expect a quick answer and that's really i think my problem if i could be like oh i'll get back to you in two days i might put in more energy into like into answering when i'm not in the mood but um, if you're sending me a text message when I just don't feel like talking, like the best you can hope for is that thumbs up message.
1: I, I, I don't know. Well, first, we have to go to Carolyn on this. Uh, but first of all, we have to t- say that this topic turned out to lay bare an incredibly sensitive thing, phenomenon, situation that none of us, I think, was entirely aware of, although I guess the two of you are a little bit more aware of it than I was, which is that there is this enormous gulf which exists between iPhone users and Android users, and Carolyn happens to be an Android user. And then we found out, because I innocently suggested, well, it would be fun to find out in terms of all the people who are on the nose, who (laughs) uses iPhones and who uses Androids, and it turns out this is yet another thing, in addition to Carolyn's number of appearances on the show that Jonathan McPence (laughs) knows about or can keep track of or something. And it turned out that, like, basically she's all, alone by herself. Um, but that isn't really the point of this conversation, is it, Carolyn?
0: Well, I guess it, I, I don't know. It feels like Pants is tracking a lot of things that I'm doing. Right
2: Someone <laughs> <laughs> call the police on him.
1: Yeah. No, he just, he just jotted down, take shower before drinking. You know, he's going <laughs> to add that to the database.
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, so I think for those who don't know, by the way, if you are texting an Android user, and you have, um, you know, clicked like on something they've sent you, or clicked love, or ha ha. It sends the Android user an, a text. Like I can't see, I don't see like the little heart next to the text message. I get an entire text that said liked this, and then it re- quotes my own text back to me, or ha ha, and quotes the text and requotes the photo that I sent or the emoji. So it is just kind of a weird. You'd think that they'd. I don't know, why, why can't they just like make that work? Uh, so I, and also Android users don't have the capability. I cannot just like, you know, long click a text message and say that I like it or ha ha or whatever. So I have turned to the wonderful world of emojis to really express myself. Anyone who texts with me knows that I, I and GIFs, I like the GIF keyboard too. I find that there's a lot of great ways to respond to things that way. Um, because I, I do agree with Teresa that sometimes I just find texting exhausting, um, but it's far better if any I, I don't ever bother to call me. That's <laughs> 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 um, I don't want to talk to you ever. But I will text with you, and I will send you really fun emojis. And where the Android is superior, Androids have a thing called the Emoji Kitchen, where you can combine emojis to make an even better emoji. Like you can combine the party emoji and the poop emoji to make a poop party. Sure. Um, the
1: minute you said you described the function, I th- knew poop was coming very soon after that.
0: Absolutely. Because poop is my favorite emoji because it's just like it just nails so many things like and it's a perfect response. Um, I have a whole stand up bit how it's like if somebody texts like, hey, are you coming out tonight? If you respond with poop, they don't know what's happening.
1: <laughs> <laughs> or, or maybe they do. Um <laughs> I, I, I want to point out that sort of in this finely detailed world of unspoken codes and rules uh, or barely spoken of co- uh, codes and rules, uh, there's a, another one that just kind of uh, another wire that just got tripped because I'm getting I'm actually getting a GIF from Jonathan McPants, uh, our producer, kind of uh, complaining about you pronouncing it as Jeff. <laughs> uh, which is like another huge gulf there's I mean it's one of those things that hasn't really been worked out, and people have different rationales for why they, they they say those words one way or another. I just want to say from my from my own perspective, well, I should say one thing first, which is to Carolyn's point. and this is a little bit of a violation of personnel procedures, but i 'll do it anyway you know we're in the process of interviewing candidates for the senior producer job on this show. And, and one of them said in one of our recent <laughs> interviews that she really likes to talk on the phone to people. Sometimes email just doesn't work. And sometimes, you know, if we're, if we're not all gathered in the office, she'll want to talk on the phone. And I, there was just kind of a little moment of silence followed by you know, exclamations of horror from me and Jonathan McPence. I mean, there are certain people that I do like to talk on the phone to, and, and I seek those opportunities out. But most of the time, yeah, when the phone rings, that's just, you know— what are, what is this person thinking? You know, and certainly I don't want to talk to anybody I work with uh, no. on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm just I'm also getting a running commentary on this conversation more so than usual from technical producer Cat Pastor, who I have just discovered a is extremely clean on any given day, um, which makes me feel bad because since she's the only person who comes sees me when I come into work at all, I don't really make any attempts. <laughs> <laughs> at hygiene or anything. Um, and she also, I think, is, shares our sense that calling people on the phone is not good. I just do want to say, though, Teresa, about this whole mm. tap back thing. I don't know. I've, I I may have used the predictive text. I may have even used it with Jonathan McPants. It is possible that the predictive text feature came up and said, done deal. And I clicked on that to him. I, th- I, I could have done that on, on a stressful texting day.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but like that whole idea of the tap back thing with the little—I don't know—the the little haha and the little question mark and I don't know. I might, there's just some puritanical thing, some you know Protestant thing that's gnawing at me about that. I would really feel as though I, I I had really dishonored the other person by saying I am going to rely. They don't even look very good. That's part of the problem, right? They look well, crude. I-
2: I think the article also sort that this all came from sort of addresses this which is sort of like yes you're you you're sort of putting the least possible effort into this but what you're really saying is like I've seen this you don't have to wonder if I see it, if I saw it but right. also I don't want to invite further conversation right. <laughs> like if I cuz sometimes you know if you respond at all then that person's going to respond. And then you're starting a whole conversation. So I really feel like to some degree, it is a way of almost screening that text, right? Like the way you might decide not to pick up a phone call. This is you saying like, you know, don't keep calling me back. I've seen it. I don't want to, I don't want (laughs) to chat right
1: now. (laughs) You're you're not making this sound less hostile. I just (laughs) want (laughs) to.
2: I I don't intend to. I don't intend to. All right. I have no guilt.
1: All right, we probably need to stop now, so we we'll have time to talk about white lotus. Uh, not our typical nose conversation, although McPence seems to have been enjoying it quite a bit. All right, we will take a break, and we'll come back.
2: So ECMO is
1: considered when treatments have failed. And in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart
2: for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash elevating health.
1: All right. Welcome back to The news. I'm Colin McEnroe. They want me to say that from time to time. Um, and I have breaking news uh, from Facebook. Um, I will actually identify this person. Apparently, people named Tracy are very interested in this topic. Tracy Stevenson informs us that Taylor Swift is under the impression that if you shave your underarms, you don't need to also wash them as the foam access soap. So file that one away. I don't know that we really need to discuss it anymore. But um, I don't know. Is she wrong though? No, I don't
2: think. No, she's I don't think so. I mean, it's just a kind of soap,
1: <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> Cat, cat, cat Pastor, not happy about this. All right. So we're going to move on here to White Lotus. White Lotus is a project by uh, auteur uh, Mike White. Uh, it is, uh, on, it's a six-episode miniseries, of which we've seen four uh, on HBO. Uh, it focuses on the staff and guests at a Hawaiian resort over the course uh, of a week. Um, almost everybody is unappealing. Uh, a lot of people are bringing some pretty profound kinds of personal baggage uh, in there, including... Things that they either shower or don't shower uh, that might be adversely affected at the moment, and um, it. Star, there aren't like a lot of big stars in it, I don't think, but uh, there are some very familiar actors, people that you like, Connie Britton, um, Steve Zahn, uh, are playing a married couple. There's, there's other people that you know and like, so I'm doing a very poor job of describing this. So, since it's probably going to be on a big little podcast episode coming up pretty soon or a series thereof, um, yeah, Carolyn, why don't you get us going? First of all, give people kind of a sense of this better than I just did,
0: uh like, describe this show? I, okay, so... I mean, it, it takes place at this beautiful Hawaiian resort. Uh, the show focuses on uh, a selection of guests who are all pretty awful people. And uh, so the show is sort of um, just kind of watching these awful people in a beautiful place and uh, kind of hate hating them. But uh, liking it because you hate it so much—that's how I would describe the show. Like you're really, you you really don't want to know any of these people. Like none of these people are people that you would want to come into contact with in your life. But yet you cannot <laughs> stop watching this show.
1: All right, um, I think that's a good gets us off to a good start. There's another part of the show that's uh, outlined right in the first episode. It is part of the premise or or thrust driving the show. Uh, We're going to play a clip of it right here. You will hear uh, just some random people from an airport, uh, but also you will hear one of the major characters. uh, Jake Lacey plays Shane Patton, uh, who is one of one of, uh, one half of a honeymooning couple that we meet at this Hawaiian resort. But this is kind of taking place after all of the rest of the action uh, of this series uh, has unfolded, although it is the first thing that you see about the series.
2: You headed home? Yeah. We were at the Aminari. It was fine, the food was good. Not much to do there, but we just like to sit around anyway. Which hotel were you at? White Lotus. White Lotus. Our guide told us someone was killed there.
1: Bodies body's on our plane.
2: On our plane? To Honolulu?
1: Yeah, they're about to load the body on our plane.
2: Well, other than that, did you have a good vacation?
1: It's my honeymoon. Yeah, congratulations.
2: How wonderful. Was it everything you hoped? Where's your wife? Yeah, where's your wife? No offense, leave me the fuck alone.
1: All right, uh, so that's uh, Jake Lacy. Um, by the way, you you'll know him from something. He's been in a lot of things. I knew him from Fosse Verdon, where he plays the kind of new boyfriend of Gwen Verdon. Uh, but he's he's done a a lot of other work here. Uh, he is describing his wife, Rachel, uh, played by Alexandra Daddario, and and Teresa, you I know feel as though at that moment they're kind of tipping their hand. Uh, To the degree to which they, they owe some kind of plot debt to Big Little Lies.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's basically the same setup, right? Where we know someone is dead, but we don't know who we don't know how or why. And every episode is just... Them trying to point, you know, the finger of death at a different character, and something we did, Carolyn. I don't know if you remember on Big Little Lies, is we used to talk about which character the episode wanted you to think was dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the show's sort of doing the same thing. Each one, it's focusing on someone different and setting up a reason for who might want them dead or how they might end up dead. And it's very, very similar in that
1: way. Right. Although, I mean, one difference is we are actually told purportedly who is dead, which is Rachel, who's one of the few at least semi-likable characters uh, in in this ensemble. But they're they're, they're just being suspicious TV watchers. We don't necessarily believe it. Or do you have even some more complicated reason not to believe it?
0: Oh,
2: I, I just think that's one of the intentional sort of red herrings they're throwing at you. Like you're meant to believe she's she's not there with him at that moment because she's dead. But that would be way too obvious, I think.
1: So, uh, you know, first of all, I, I should say, and I guess I haven't uh, – I think you, you've we've you've gotten sort of Carolyn's uh, basic take on this thing, uh, which is that it's very addictive um, because she enjoys not liking characters. Um, and, and for me, I don't typically have that feeling and I, I kind of – you know, I watched this, the four episodes with increasing amounts of absorption and increasingly the sense that I don't like the series. On the other hand, my dog, Declan, and I stayed up really late watching the fourth episode on Wednesday night rather than waiting <laughs> because we really couldn't stop. So, you know, Teresa, it's sort of an interesting question whether you can dislike a series and, and still be kind of hooked on it because that's sort of how I feel right now
2: oh i yeah i mean 100 percent. that's how i felt about the show girls like i i hated everyone on it and i don't hate everyone on the show i think maybe uh connie burton's daughter or whatever i don't i can't remember oh, she's name on she's awful show. she is exceptionally awful and i hate her but everybody else <laughs> has some sort of humanizing thing going on with them i think um yes. oh and shane shane's pretty awful too he's terrible um but I think, yeah, I mean, sometimes you just want to see, like, in this case, I think there's a mystery that carries you through, right? You're trying, you want to know who's dead, you want to know if it's the person you least like. Although Shane's alive, so I guess that's out, right? Like he's still alive, <laughs> and um, and but you want to see, you just want to know what happens. Like the story itself, this is a, you know, a, a show or a book or a movie or whatever that's really Plot driven doesn't necessarily need to have characters you love. Mm-hmm.
1: Although I would say, Carolyn, in a lot of ways it, it is. I mean, unless you're really focusing constantly on this question of who was in that box being uh, loaded onto the plane, um, I mean, you're spending most of each of the four episodes we've seen vo- so far dwelling alongside these characters as they work out their different dramas. Uh, one uh girl who's been brought along with uh with the Connie Britton, Steve Zahn family on the trip, uh, winds up uh, hooking up with uh, somebody at the uh, who works at the hotel. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other sort of you know underlying drama about that. Steve Zahn thinks he has t- testicular cancer, so that's uh like a big worry. The guy who seems initially like the Mr. Fix-It of the series, the guy who's going to keep things kind of under control as the maitre d' or manager, I guess the general manager of the hotel, uh, Armand, played by Murray Bartlett, turns out to be the person most capable of slipping out of control. And that's probably all we'll say about that. Uh, and one of the other major plots involves the uh, very, very talented and very strange comic actress Jennifer Coolidge as a woman named Tanya McQuad, who is there at least as ostensibly to scatter the ashes of her dead mother on the beautiful Hawaiian waters. Uh, although it becomes increasingly less certain that that's actually what she's there for or that she even knows why she's there, uh, there's also a very interesting dynamic between her and the woman who runs uh, the the health spa, a woman named Belinda played by Natasha Rothwell, who increasingly the wealthy... Uh, Jennifer Coolidge character is offering to kind of underwrite in a loan business venture somehow or other that feels like it's not very firm footing. So that's that's a lot of the subplotting, I guess. And maybe we should say a word or two, Carolyn, about Jennifer Coolidge. I know her, I guess I would see in the American Pie movies. I would think of her as Stifler's Mother or something. I don't know. I never saw, saw those movies. I think of her from all those Christopher Guest movies like Best in mm-hmm. Show where she's part of the ensemble. And she's a very, very peculiar Comic actor, I think Carolyn. She doesn't really deliver lines with beats and stuff like that the way to, uh, people typically do. I mean, she's almost—I don't know—she almost lets her lines kind of trickle out of her somehow.
0: Yeah, I think that that's her genius. That she she has—it's definitely her shtick—is that she. It's like she's searching for her lines. It's like she didn't bother to memorize them. <laughs> <laughs> And she has this like certain stammer that she brings to it and uh, where it's kind of like, is she dumb? Is she lost in deep thought? Does she not care? We don't know. And I think she is brilliant and fascinating. Her facial expressions, um, her just her physicality. Um, to me, this, I think this, uh, this show is a really amazing vehicle for her because it does kind of push her to be, there are moments where you do have to buy her as a dramatic actress, if you will, Mm -hmm. he still does it with this parody quality. And she toes the line for me between being hitting that comedy and also making you feel something like there's a twinge of when she's like wailing and throwing her scattering the ashes of her mother you're you know you you she just handles things in such a weird and irreverent way that i am fascinated by her um a hundred percent and i think armand the other the other performance in this show that just has really really won me over is the actor playing armand um he is he is perfect he's perfect when he's uptight he's perfect when he's unhinged it's wonderful Um, and i heard that he brought he made a lot of choices And the scene in the fourth episode, the big ending scene in the fourth episode, that was his idea of how to handle that scene. Oh my.
1: Maybe not something he'll want to be known for for the rest of his life, but sure, fine. (laughs) We're not going to tell you what that scene is. I guarantee you that we are not going to do that. Although I hope, I just hope everybody showered, uh, both before and after. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, you know, I mean, I guess maybe one way that, Teresa, tell me whether what I'm saying is fair or not. That this is one of those series. And I think this is a little bit of a Mike White hallmark. He's the auteur of this series. I associate him primarily with another um, project that was solely his. It was called Enlightened. It also ran on Mm -hmm. on HBO, it was a Laura Dern vehicle. Um, You know, People don't say really funny things for the most part uh, mm-hmm. on this series. If we're laughing, we're kind of laughing at them as opposed to them having, you know, delivered some uh, you know, Oscar Wilde type epigram, right? I mean, that's sort of more the direction of the writing, I feel.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I think we're definitely... The show's interesting because it doesn't... You never know who you're supposed to like from one... From one episode to the next, and therefore, I think, except except I think maybe with the with the exception of Jennifer Coolidge's character, who I think while she's hard to watch at times, she's I don't find her unlikable. She seems like a sweet lady who's lost, right? And so, I think there are moments, especially for her, that are actually pretty funny, and they're maybe not written that way, but as Carolyn points out Jennifer Coolidge is kind of a genius who you're never sure. Like, does anyone know if Jennifer Coolidge is just like that or if she's actually acting in all these things where she kind of seems like high and out of it all the time?
1: Yeah, I, I actually did a little bit of reading about her and and even saw some photographs of her as a young person where she looked at- drastically different from how she looks now. Um, But I I don't know that I have the answer to that. Just to give you a little bit more of a sense of the writing on this, and the writing actually can be really quite sharp, uh, just in a different way. Uh, Here's a little scene also from the first episode. You will hear the aforementioned Murray Bartlett as Armand, the the general manager of the hotel, and he's with a new trainee. Uh, Her name is Lonnie. Uh, She, I think, appears in the first episode, and I don't think we've ever seen her again, but here we go. We could make our dream Look, Lani, I know it's your first day on the
2: job, and uh, I don't know how it worked at your other properties, but here, self-disclosure is discouraged, especially with these VIPs who arrive on the boat. You know, you don't want to be too specific as a, as a presence, as an identity. You want to be more generic. Generic?
1: Yes. You know, it's, it's a Japanese ethos where we are asked to disappear behind our masks as pleasant, interchangeable helpers. It's tropical kabuki. And the goal is to create for the guests an overall impression of vagueness
2: that can be very satisfying where they get everything they want but they don't even know what they want or what day it is or where they are or who we are or what the is going on. (laughs)
1: So there you go. There, there's a bit of it. Um, and, you know, I mean, Carolyn, when I listen to that, there is some very sharp writing, you know, and it's funny, but not kind of intentional from the character funny.
0: No, this is the kind of uh, show that definitely depends on the performance of of its actors. Um, and I think that that if you're struggling in the first episode, it does kind of like move slow with all this setup, but that's what really hooked me was that I was like, all right, these are actors whose performances I care about seeing and seeing how it evolves. Uh, So from that standpoint, absolutely. Um, And, you know, the the mystery aspect of it, it's funny because, you know, talking about this and uh, the fact that it starts with like a coffin being loaded onto a plane, and that we know that, and now we're seeing all the before. I had kind of pushed that out in my mind until uh, until we started talking about it for this show. That has become a secondary thing for me. And now I'm like rethinking about the show. The other thing I think that needs to be mentioned for the show that is a similarity to like a Big Little Lies is its use of music is another thing that I think mm. is another great tool. Um, all this kind of, uh, Hawaiian music, these pulsating drums that really like drive the action and the excitement Um, and and just the use of I, I think the music is a really is another great character here.
1: All right. So uh, it, the series is called, I, I guess I'll say one more thing, which is, so I have this whole theory about ensembles, and it's, I think, probably a pretty old-fashioned theory, like most of my theories, um, which is that they need a certain kind of balance, and they need certain kind of stock characters. I always feel like there has to be a kind of Mary Tyler Moore character, the person who is represents kind of the moral center, and whatever amount of sanity there is uh, in in whatever ensemble it is, you know, it, it's sort of that person. And I also, also feel like there has to be a Mercutio, the person, Mercutio, he doesn't have to be witty, or she. He doesn't have to be witty, uh, but, but goofy and f- uh, funny and in touch with a slightly different version of, of reality. Um, and I feel that's one of the things this series—well, it's missing both of those <laughs> elements, actually. There is no person who represents a Mary Tyler Moore type moral se- or sane center to everything, and there is nobody really who functions that way, although it frustrates me that Steve Zahn doesn't because he's so good at it. In, in movies like Out of Sight and Happy Texas, he is so good at sort of being the person who is goofily in touch with uh, a slightly or drastically different version of reality. Uh, and, and there's a kind of relief that comes with this. There's somebody who sees this an entirely different way. And I, yeah, go ahead.
2: I have a question because I, I think Rachel is the moral center of the show. I
1: guess she's the closest thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, then
2: maybe the son who's, I forget what his name is, the Connie Burton's son.
1: Yes. One of the Mossbackers. I can look it up yeah, for you.
2: Yeah, yeah. he seems like he could maybe be the Mercutio or the closest thing to it, because he's sort of, he's just sort of put upon, like, whatever you don't like about him, his sort of explosive behavior, you can sort of understand it because of what um, the way he's treated by basically everybody around him. Right.
1: Well, Ms. Kramer, uh, his name is, is um, no, wait <laughs> a minute, I was trying to, it's Quinn Moshbacker. Uh, he's played by Quinn, Fred, right. uh, Fred uh, Heshing, Heshinger, uh, and he's a pretty poor substitute for Mercutio, in my uh, opinion. <laughs> but thanks for stopping by the front desk. If there's anything else we can help you out with, we'd be happy to. But right now, we'll have to go to a break, and we'll come right back.
2: On a coconut island, I'd like to be a castaway with you. On a coconut island, there wouldn't be so very much to do. I would linger a while and just gaze into your lovely eyes of blue. Then I'd walk for a mile and come running back to...
1: All right, and now it is uh, time to say some thank yous. Uh, The first one goes to our technical uh, producer Kat Pastor, who is playing hurt today. She's that tough. She's playing hurt. I won't say how she's hurt, but she's uh, a lot of people would be taking a medical day off today. Uh, And no, that that sounds too mysterious. Um, And also to the person who recently broke his streak, uh, his streak of ninety-five consecutive uh, nose episodes. Uh, but he's now starting a brand new streak as of today, the keeper of all records such as that one, uh, Jonathan McPance. All right, time to make some recommendations. Uh, let's get Teresa Kramer to get us going. What have you got?
2: So I, I'm i in the middle of reading a book called Once There Were Wolves by Charlotte McConaughey, and it's um, it's sort of a murder mystery where the main character is a wolf biologist who is in the middle of a project Um, of rewilding the highlands of Scotland and returning wolves to the, to the mountains. Um, And it's just one, a really interesting idea. And um, I, I just, I really like it. Um, And so I would recommend it if you happen to like wolves and murder. And then I also recently finished reading a book called Something Wild by Hannah Halperin, which is a really heartbreaking story about two sisters who go home to help their mother move only to find out she is in a, an abusive relationship. And are attempts to kind of get her to leave that relationship. And it was really, really wonderful novel. And Hannah Halpern is a former domestic violence counselor. So she, she really knows what she's talking about.
1: Ooh, this both sound very, very interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. All right. And uh, so, Carolyn Payne, what have you got for us? <laughs>
0: um, okay. So, I got uh, hooked on, I, I'm into true crime documentaries, and it just feels like there's never enough good new ones out. So, I sadly got hooked on this Netflix uh, true crime series called Heist, and it follows um, different famous heists that have happened and it's kind of cheesy because they have like reenactor actors like portraying the people and do these very like highly produced uh reenactments of the crime um but they also pair that with interviews with people involved it's cheesy and kind of like a very lowbrow version of a true crime documentary. But you know what, it's fun. And the heists are pretty pretty crazy and make you sit around fantasizing whether or not you could get away with that and then like live on the lam the rest of your life like these people, (laughs) which is currently sitting around considering. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, all right so um, first of all I want to say that next week uh, uh, we are doing an unusual thing which is reading one of those things that Teresa likes so much they're called books I believe Um, (laughs) and we don't usually do that on the nose but we uh, decided to pick one of the big blockbuster summer thrillers it's called Falling it is written by a former flight attendant most of it takes place either um, in a plane or kind of on the ground watching the plane uh, in the air Uh, and that's maybe all I will uh, say about it Um, so in terms of recommendations what, I sort of just alluded to one of them. Um, when I think about Steve Zahn, who's somebody who's given me a lot of enjoyment over the years as an actor, uh, one of the movies that I, I personally am going to return to, I haven't watched it in a while, is Happy Texas. Uh, the premise there is that uh, he and Jeremy Northam are uh, escaped convicts um, uh, from a nearby prison, but they they show up to direct some kind of musical Pageant, and they they assume the identities uh, of these two gay directors and director and choreographer, uh, and and they they assume those um, those identities with kind of a comic lack of comfort and familiarity. But it's got a terrific supporting cast, including a friend of the show, Ileana Douglas. Uh, so, and it's really delightful. And Zahn, in his scenes is just he just destroys you. Uh, so that's one. And then one thing we almost talked about on today's show. Uh, was was Gawker? Gawker, which is oh, there's what are, one of Teresa's dogs. Either that or oh no, someone's
2: making a delivery. I'm going.
1: Out. <laughs> yeah, either that or it's one of the wolves in the book she was talking about. But um, uh, so Gawker, as most people know, was this kind of snarky, scandal mongering website that was, you know, kind of. The white lotus uh, of the internet publishing world for a long time, in the sense that it, it as Carolyn would like to say it, it, it took it took pleasure in burning its subjects uh, like uh, ants under a, ma- a magnifying glass, <laughs> um, and it eventually was driven out of existence, partly due to uh, a lawsuit. Um, well, it's back. It's back in a, and I think it's in a different and better form so far. I mean, I've been reading it. I thought maybe we would talk about the renaissance of Gawker today. We didn't, but you know, the, it seems a little less mean and a little bit more. Thoughtful. Uh, there's uh, some. one of the pieces that's kind of on the the front page, so to speak, today is about how revenge isn't such a great idea. Uh, maybe you should just go take a walk. Uh, and uh, there's another very thoughtful and interesting piece about whether Jon Stewart, who's about to relaunch uh, on a streaming channel, is is. I'm properly positioned to comment today whether, in fact, his outlook, uh, his particular take on things, uh, his way of emoting as he delivers was more appropriate for his heyday uh, on The Daily Show. Uh, and it's a, it, it really is a piece that kind of got me thinking, too. So, you know, at least check out Gawker, uh, the new Gawker, and see what you think. Uh, and meanwhile, thanks to everybody, including uh, especially Jonathan McPants, who is this is your 202nd total nose episode. <laughs> he's produced he knows these things he knows these things somehow uh, and to Cat Pastor our technical producer playing hurt today playing tough as usual thanks of course to Teresa and Carolyn hilarious as usual uh, and we will see you again at the beginning of next week
0: talking about this and
2: talking about that and talk about everything as a matter of fact oh yeah talk about Torrington Vernon Danbury Waterberry, yeah. Berry, Woodberry, Hittin' on New Britain, Vernon, I already said that one, Avon, Farmington. Yeah, 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 yeah. All the